Today's scripture reading is from Jonah 1, 4 through 16. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. All right, thank you, Miranda, for the reading of God's true word this morning. In case you don't know Miranda, she's our nursery director, does a great job there, mom of three littles, and here's the big one. She's the bride, the spouse to our youth pastor, Philip Bro. That's how you know she's a, sorry, that's how you know she's a real saint, right? JK, LOL, Miranda, thanks for all you do. And if you ever want to volunteer in the nursery, you get to hang out with cool people like Miranda. All right, good morning. In case we haven't met, hi, my name is Paul. Okay, all right. That's cool, that's cool. We'll get, a, we'll get, a, we'll get some life in you here in a little bit, trust me. Uh, welcome to our uh, church family joining online. Glad we can provide that for you. Also, if this is your first weekend here at Faithy, we're so glad you're here. You know, we uh, started last week on this little adventure through the book of Jonah. We're going to continue that this morning by looking at the verses that Miranda just read. So if you would, take your scripture journal. I trust you brought your scripture journals to church today. Open those up if you would. If you didn't get one, if you weren't here last week, we've got some more underneath the seats in front of you. You can take one. It's free. Our gift to you. Take it. Use it. That'll be good. You can also turn in your Bibles to Jonah. You go into the Old Testament, the last book of the Bible, go to Malachi, and then turn left six books. The seventh one will be Jonah. You can find it that way as well. We'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. All right, you're getting there, and that's good. Now, before we jump into God's true word, before we do any observations, what's the first thing we should always do? All right, there we go, good. Let's, uh, let's pray. Join me if you would. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering here. We don't take that for granted. The freedom we have in you, Jesus, the freedom we have to gather here, that's a big deal. And we come as your people, desperate to hear a word from you. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? 
through your word. Jesus, this is your church, your king. We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, last week when we started Jonah, we spent quite a few minutes, quite a bit of time there in the first couple verses talking about the context, because understanding context, understanding what was taking place in culture at that point in history, it's important because it helps us lead to a proper interpretation and a proper application to our lives today. So we talked about things like how Jonah, he was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and the Lord told him to go to a place called Nineveh, about over 500 miles to the northeast. That's where he was told to go. And you may remember that Nineveh is part of the Assyrian nation. And the Assyrians, the Ninevites, these are wicked, cruel, brutal, violent people. Some of the most brutal people to ever walk the face of the earth, and Jonah's told to go there. Not only that, the Assyrians, they're the ones who conquered Israel. They're enemies of Jonah's people. And so he disobeys God. He goes the other way because in no way does he want to extend God's mercy to those wicked people, those depraved people. He runs the other way. He devises a plan. He goes down to Joppa to board a ship, and he's ready to go to Tarshish, 2,000 miles the opposite direction. Now, one thing I didn't mention last week is that Joppa is modern-day Jaffa, and it's located in the southern portion of Tel Aviv, not far from, and nothing over there is really all that far, but not far from the Gaza Strip. Been hearing about these places lately? Is God's word relevant to our lives today? Is, Is Jonah real and relevant to us today? Oh, yeah, you bet it is. So Jonah, he goes down to Joppa, he goes down into a ship, he going down physically, he going down spiritually, and that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you would, with your Bibles open, let's take a look. Now, I trust that you had some opportunity this past week to do some observations on your own. That was the challenge, and I hope you took advantage of that. If not, you'll have another opportunity to do that this week. Now, if you don't know much about observations, this OIA that we're teaching, check out pages 6 and 7 of your scripture journals. There's some helps, there's some tools there that you can use. But I made some observations, and they're listed in your worship guide. I'm not going to go through all of them right now, because we'll see how these come up throughout the sermon, throughout our teaching time. But there's some key words. There's lots of questions. You probably heard all those questions as Miranda was reading. There's a key command we're going to talk about. And then the last thing that I notated as I did my observations this past week is all the descriptive language that we see in these verses, like violent, calamity, rougher, rougher, wilder, raging. And all those terms are pointing to the sea and to the storm, really. You see, the, 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 problem, the problem that these sailors are dealing with is, is the storm, At least that seems to be the problem on the surface level. We're going to see that there's actually a deeper one that's taking place here. But 12 of the 13 verses in this passage are dealing with the sailors in a storm. And that's why you got all this descriptive language, and that's why you got a lot of questions coming from the sailors, including, what do we do? And really, it's a question we all ask, right? When the storms of life come our way, when those storms come, that's the question. What do we do? What should we do when the storms come? Well, let's check it out. Let's see what God's word has to say for us today. Starting there in verse 4. The very first thing we see is this statement, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Before we get to the storm, before we get to the sea, before we get to anything else, we see the words, Then the Lord. Lord, all caps. We're going to see Lord used like this eight times in this passage. And if you remember from last week, when we see Lord, all caps, it's the Israelites' way of referring to God's divine name. They wouldn't pronounce it. They didn't spell it. Today, we refer to his divine name as Yahweh. 
Yahweh, one true living God. And there's an attribute we see of God throughout these verses, starting here in verse 14, or excuse me, verse 4, and it's this. He's sovereign. Meaning, he's in control. Yes, we're going to see the storm and the sea and the sailors a lot, but ultimately what's going to come through this passage is that God is sovereign. And we're also going to see the depths of his mercy and grace. And his sovereignty, like I said, is on display right here in verse 4 because we see that he sends the great wind. The wind obeys him. By the way, there's that word great again. We saw that and we talked about that last week. Great city of Nineveh, here we have a great wind. And we'll see it a few other times throughout these verses. But the Lord himself sends this great wind. And the wind, it kicks up on the sea and the sea grows violent. There's a violent storm. And then we read that the ship threatens to break up. Look at that. Look how that's worded in your, in, in your Bibles, in your scripture journals. The ship threatens to break up. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like the ship has a little bit of a personality right here. You know what I mean? Like the ship, she's saying, sailors, I've had enough of you. You're sailing me into the storm. Our relationship's over. I'm breaking it off right near here. I'm breaking it up with, I'm breaking up with you right now. Well, okay, maybe not exactly, right? But it certainly gives us the picture that God is sovereign over all things. Even the ship obeys him. The wind obeys him. You see, check this out. Throughout these verses, what we're going to see is this. Everything obeys God. Everything's subject to him. Everything obeys him except one person. Jonah. Why? Because Jonah's got free will. You can't tell me he doesn't, right? Jonah, Jonah has the capacity to make choices that matter, and so do we. Choices that have consequences, and so do we. You see, oh yes, God's in complete control, absolutely, but he doesn't completely control everything we do. And so how does the sovereignty of God and our free will all work together? Yes. That's my answer because I really don't know. <laughs> it's a bit of a mystery to me. But when we look at these verses, there's one thing we do know. There's one thing we can be sure of, that God's gonna work through his people and the tangled webs that we weave to accomplish his divine will, his divine purpose in the world and in our lives. You could say amen to that. That's a good thing. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 28. Love this verse probably familiar to a lot of you but here's what Paul says and we know we know that in all things God works for the good look not all things are good but God works through all things even our free will and the choices we make and this is what happens for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose he works through all of that what a promise for us as followers of Jesus Right? What a promise. We have a God who's sovereign in the storm. We may not be able to explain it or understand it. May not be pleasant all the time, but we can trust him in it, and we can trust that his purpose is going to be brought to completion. And that's good. He's sovereign in the storm. Now, let me talk about these sailors a little bit, because you know, these guys, these guys are hardened, experienced sailors, right? They, they, they've been on the sea before. This isn't the first time. This isn't their first rodeo. They're some salty dudes, right? They've seen a storm or two in their lives. And by the way, 
you know this, but they didn't have the fancy radar equipment and weather monitoring equipment that we have today, right? I mean, of course they didn't. And, and, and they didn't have awesome weathermen that work for Q2 that give us our weather every day. They didn't have that back then either. I can imagine in the morning they looked out and they saw the clear blue sky. And things were looking great, gentle wind, going the right direction. Maybe the night before, they looked at the sky and it was red. You know, red, sa uh, red sky at night is sailor's delight, you know the saying. Maybe you don't, but that's how it goes. Everything's lining up, looking good, so they take off from the port of Joppa. And it wasn't long before they get themselves in a bit of a conundrum. There's a little bit of a storm that brews, right? And they know there's something different about this storm. Because this one's violent. It's, things are out of control. The ESV version says that it's a tempest. They don't know what to do. As much of their experience tells them, they, they don't have a clue what to do because it's out of control. So what do they do? Well, they start crying out to their little G-gods, praying to them. Why? Because they're afraid. They're scared. Makes sense. If you've been in a storm and things are out of control, it can be a little scary sometimes, Right? Now, I've been on a boat at sea a few different times. Not a ton, but a couple times. I've never been through a storm, thankfully. I can't imagine what that's like. Maybe some of you have. But I bet we've all been on another vessel. Or at least most of us have probably been on another vessel called an airplane. Anybody ever ridden on an airplane? Okay. I saw a few hands that didn't go up, and I know you've been on airplanes, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. You've ridden on an airplane, right? All right, that's okay, that's okay. I remember a particular airplane ride that I was on, and, uh, well, it was a unique experience. Let me just put it that way. My daughter, Michaela, and I were on this, uh, this ride, along with many of you here at Faith E. We were heading to Christ Gift Academy. There's a picture of us. Keep that picture up for just a moment, because I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But we're heading to a place called Christ Gift Academy. It's another one of our global partners. And by the way, I don't know if Heather's still here, but thanks, Heather, for sharing about Hope of Africa. That was powerful, wasn't it? Christ Gift Academy is another one of our global partners that we've partnered with for quite a few years. And we're heading to Kenya, Africa. Again, a uh, short-term mission trip with a lot of you from here. And it was that final leg uh, that we're heading. I don't know if you remember this, but it's from Amsterdam to, uh, to Nairobi. Yeah, I see a few of you head, nodding your head. And, and most people are sleeping, and all of a sudden, the plane kind of vibrates and jerks a little bit, and the lights kind of flicker, and then we have the captain get on the intercom, and he's like, <sighs> attention crew and passengers, the plane you're aboard just got struck by lightning, but no fear, they're built to absorb this, don't be afraid, everything's under control. <sighs> I'm glad he said something, because we woke up, a lot of us were scared, what's happening? <laughs> and I'm glad he said that it was under control. Now, that picture is, by the way, that's us smiling. That's before the lightning hit, I'm just saying, okay? Now, maybe you've never been on a plane that's been struck by lightning, but the plane rides you've taken, have you ever experienced a little bit of turbulence before? I bet everybody has if you've been on a plane, right? That's a little unnerving, isn't it? You feel it can be a little scary. You feel like things are out of control because, well, you don't control anything, do you? And if the turbulence gets bad enough, I mean bad, and maybe you've experienced that, it's real scary, isn't it? And what's everybody doing around you when that, when that happens? Well, they're praying, aren't they? Whether they're believers or not, they're praying. It's kind of that saying, you know how it goes, maybe. There's no atheists in foxholes, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, everybody's crying out, praying to 
someone or something. I heard this said too, and I thought it was pretty good, so I, I mentioned it this morning, is everybody inherently is religious. Everybody inherently is a bit of a theologian. You know, everybody at some level studies God. Now you may say, well, come on. There's a lot of people that don't even believe in God. How could this be? Well, for those who say that, you know what they're saying? They're just saying, I'm God. And their major is the study of self. That's all. But when the time comes in a person's life where the storms come and we recognize that we're not the ones in control, oh, no, we're not. Guess what? Everybody cries out. Oh, yeah. Everybody prays. Either prays to the God of the universe or prays to some other little G-God. You see, here it is. When the storms come, they reveal who or what we worship. Right? Think about that. When the storms come, they reveal who or what we worship. We get the picture of who the sailors are worshiping, at least in the beginning of this narrative, right? The storms come, and they cry out to their little G-gods. You see, the storm really isn't the big problem in this passage. Oh, no. The storm's not the problem. The problem is that we have sailors and others who are far from God. The problem is we have, we have people here in this passage who don't know who's the one that's in control during the storm. That's the problem. So these sailors, they're scared, they're frantic, they're freaking out. They're throwing things overboard. They're throwing freight overboard, most likely. This is a freight trade ship. And so they're throwing their livelihoods overboard, right? They're scared. And then the captain is like, okay, where's Jonah? Where is Jonah in all of this? Where's Jonah? He's sleeping. He's deep sleep down below deck. How could this be? I mean, could you picture the waves are crashing over the ship? These guys are freaking out. It's loud. Lightning's crashing. And there's our Jonah in deep sleep at the bottom of the, the ship, right? I mean, is he tired? Maybe he's tired from this trip that he took to get down to Joppa. Maybe he's depressed. Now, scholars believe that, many of them, that he's in a depressed state. I mean, Perhaps he just sold everything in order to pay the fare to hop on the ship to take him to where he's going, to Tarshish. Perhaps he's depressed because he's leaving his people, his nation. Perhaps he's depressed because he's in a position of disobedience to God and he knows it. And so he's just going to sleep the world away and sleep God into oblivion. Whatever the case, whatever the case, we see the captain ask a pretty good question How can you sleep? Wake up! And then he gives Jonah a command, and I want to spend a moment on this command because he says this, get up and call on your God. You see, what the, what the captain's saying there, the first two words of this command, get up. In Hebrew, it's the same two words we talked about last week when God said to Jonah, go to. Go to the great city of Nineveh. It's the same two words. And I can picture Jonah. He's kind of getting up. He's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. He, he, he's kind of rocking around, trying to shake the sleep out of his head. And he's hearing the captain say the very same thing that God said to him when he said to go to Nineveh. This is incredible, isn't it? It's another picture of God's sovereignty. He's, in a way, he's speaking through the captain to get Jonah's attention. And he gets Jonah's attention. And... I think 
as Jonah gets his wits about him a little bit more and realizes he's waking up in a big old storm, I think it's in this moment right here that he knows, when he hears the captain say that, that he knows why there's a storm. He knows what's going on and that it's his fault. And there's something else about the captain's command that I want to point out. Notice he says, call on your God. (laughs) We have a pagan captain. We have an unbeliever reminding a prophet of God to pray in the storm. A little upside down, isn't it? Sometimes things are a little upside down for us in the storm too. First thing we should do is pray. But do we? It's convicting. This is convicting. Safe to say we all got a little Jonah in us sometimes, right? Well, Jonah gets up. He joins this uh, impromptu prayer meeting on the upper deck. And he's hanging out with these guys. And at this moment... He's around the sailors and the captain. He can say, fellas, here's what's happening. Here's why the storm is here. But he doesn't. He doesn't say anything to them, does he? Instead, they start casting lots. That's what takes place. And that's something that happened in the ancient world. What that was is they have some flat stones. One side would be painted white. The other side would be painted black. They'd throw these stones out there, and they would indicate something in an answer that they were trying to find. At least that's what they were doing. Kind of like rolling dice. It'd kind of be like today. Anybody ever played rock, paper, scissors? You ever done that? All right, well, there's one person. Cool. Now, let me tell you how rock, paper, scissors is. Well, you know. But you have three options, rock, paper, scissors. All right. I'm getting a lot of... We're going to play right now in the service, okay? What's going to happen? I'm going to say rock, paper, scissors, shoot. When I say shoot, you got to pick one of the three. All y'all going to play against me. This will be a lot of fun, okay? And if you pick right, you get to say woo or whatever. Okay, here we go. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, who had scissors? You lost. You're losers. I'm sorry. And I know my wife right now would say, don't call a bunch of people losers. Here you go. You get a participation trophy. <laughs> All right. Who had paper? Okay, you won. I'm the loser. I got one other question. Did anybody do this? You know what? Thank you. Because at least when I was a kid, this was a stick of dynamite and blew everything up, and you always won. So I am so grateful to be in a church body that's not full of a bunch of cheaters. Good job. Well, they play rock, paper, scissors, and their rocks all line up and point to Jonah. And check this out. Another display of God's sovereignty. The rocks obey him. Yeah. And so this leads to a litany of questions that we saw earlier here in verse 8. These sailors begin to ask Jonah things like, who's responsible for this? What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Who are your people? You see, these questions would tell a lot about the man that they're talking to, the man named Jonah. What they're trying to find out is, why are you isolating yourself from your community? And that's what sin does, doesn't it? The shame that comes with it. We want to cover it up, wear the mask. Don't want anybody to know what's going on, the real you. At times, right? That's what sin does. Causes us to physically and spiritually isolate ourselves from others. And isolation tends to lead us the wrong way. And even the sailors, at least at some level, know this. And then after that, we get to Jonah's reply. And verse 9 is the key verse in this passage. It really ties it all together. Because we find that Jonah says this. Check it out in your Bibles, your scripture journals. 
I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He tells him where he's from. He's a Hebrew. He's from Israel. That's what that means. And he worships Yahweh, the one true living God. And that word worship, it's interesting. It's the same Hebrew root root word for fear, afraid, Yahweh. That's the Hebrew word. And here it's being used a little bit differently because he's saying, I fear, I revere, I worship the one true living God, Yahweh. And then he goes on to say this about God. He's the God of heaven who created the dry land and the sea. And really, what Jonah is saying here is very similar to what we read in Psalm 95.5. I believe there's a good possibility these two are linked. Because this is what it says, The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You see, the sailors, they were polytheistic, meaning they had a little G-God for every single little thing in their life. A God of the wind, a God of the sea, a God of the land. They even had little G-Gods of the heaven, and the little G-Gods of the heaven trumped all the other little G-Gods. That's kind of how their system worked. And then we have Jonah show up, and he says, Oh, no, here's who I know, here's who I fear, here's who I revere, here's who I worship. He's the God of heaven, the one true living God, Yahweh, and he created the sea, the land, and everything in it. That's what he's saying. (laughs) But his actions don't really line up with what he's saying, do they? He's kind of running the other way. Sleeping in the bottom of the boat. I found this a little convicting, too. How often do we say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I got a rubber band around my, my wrist. And I love God. Yet, maybe my actions, our actions, don't always line up with what we're saying. A little convicting. Sometimes we all got a little... Jonah on us, don't we? And then we see, after Jonah tells them that he knows, he reveres the one true living God, we see that these sailors, well, they're, they're terrified. They're terrified. And a literal translation of that word terrified means that they fear with great fear. You see, first they're afraid of the storm, and now they're greatly afraid of this God they don't know. A God Jonah knows yet disobeys. And so they're filled with a great fear. And so they ask Jonah another question, and they ask him, what have you done? It's like they're saying, dude, what are you doing? You just said that you, you revere, you fear this, this God of heaven who created the sea and dry land. He created the sea, and here you are, you're taking, across, you're taking off across the, the sea in a ship? What are you thinking? But hold on just a second. We see a little parenthetical statement there at the end of verse 10. They already knew he was running from Yahweh, the Lord, don't they? I, I can picture maybe when, when Jonah hopped on the boat there at Joppa, the sailors may have said to him, why, why, why are you going to Tarshish? What's, what's the point of your business? And Jonah, maybe he said, well, you know, I'm fleeing from God. I'm running from Yahweh. And at that time, the, the sailors are probably like, okay. Who cares? Hop on aboard. All aboard. Let's go. And now they care. Now they care. (laughs) Jonah's disobedience is having a direct impact on them. Now they're part of the storm, aren't they? They're in the storm. Jonah's sin is having an impact on them. Sometimes that's how sin works. 
Sometimes our sin has an impact on others, including the ones we love. So the, the sailors in verse 11, they have another question for them. <laughs> another pretty good one. What must we do to you, Jonah, to make the sea calm down for us? I, I mean, they want to know what they need to do in order to be saved. They don't want to perish in these waters. It's scary. It's a very similar question we see in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. A jailer runs out of the jailhouse, falls at the feet of Paul and Silas, and he says this, What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say this, Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's what you got to do to be saved. In our text in Jonah, the sailors are really asking the same thing. And then we get to Jonah's response in verse 12. Now, before we look at Jonah's response in verse 12, I kind of want to go back to that airplane illustration I was talking about because it just so happens I got a couple buddies that are pilots that are in the aviation industry. And I made a few phone calls because I wanted to do a little airplane talk, and I had no idea what I was talking about, by the way, but I kind of acted like I did. And I called one of the guys, his uh, good friend, Dan Hargrove. You may know him. He's an elder here at Faithy. And I said, Dan, talk to me about airplanes. And he's like, sure, Paul. What do you want to know? And I said, is it common for an airplane to get struck by lightning? And he's like, actually, it's not all that common. But nothing to be afraid of, Dan said. They're built for it. They can, they can handle it. And I'm like, okay, good. Uh, what that captain, when we were 30,000 feet in the air, what he said, he wasn't bluffing. That's good to know. And then I said, Dan, is it possible you could fly a plane into a storm, strong enough winds where it would be torn apart? And he said, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, especially a smaller plane. That's why we teach everybody, don't go into a storm. Huh, good advice. And then I said, well, if you do happen to, when you're teaching your students and, you t and they happen to be in a storm cloud or something like that, they're beginning to enter it, do you ever tell them, do you teach them, well, in that case, you ought to cast lots, roll dice, and play rock, paper, scissors to figure out what to do. Do you teach your students that? And Dan's like, no. Of course we don't. And so then I, I had one other question. And I said, well, what do you tell the students if they happen to find themselves going into a storm cloud? And he said, well, get out as fast as possible. And usually the best way to do that is turn around and leave the same way you came in. Look at Jonah's response when they said to him, what must we do to be saved in verse 12? Notice how he tells the sailors, the captain, oh, you better turn this vessel around, take me back to Joppa, drop me off so that I can go to Nineveh and do what the Lord's telling me to do and be obedient. Notice that's what he's, okay, no, he's not. I think it would have made more sense. Right? I mean, that's what you do. You go in a storm, you leave. You do what you should. But he said instead this, now, if you want the sea to grow calm, you're going to need to toss me in. You're going to need to throw me in, fellas, because it's my fault. And at, at some level, when you first look at this, you're like, boy, what a noble move. He's willing to take the wrath of God. He's willing to, to, to die in these guys' place. And at some level, there's some truth to that, right? But you see, really, Jonah is still operating from a place where his heart is a little hardened, and God's got some more work to do in his life and in his heart. Because Jonah... He still does not want to go to Nineveh and extend God's mercy to those people who are wicked to the core. So he says to the sailors, throw me in instead. He's willing to die rather than turn around. These guys don't want to do that. At some level, you could say they value human life. They value this, this prophet of God that's before them. They don't, they don't want to throw him in. So what do we see them do? They row all the harder, don't they? We've got to get out of this storm. 
this ain't good. And, and, and I'm sure, most likely, they could probably see land in the distance. They usually, when they sailed, they were never far from land. They could probably see the shore in the distance, and they're thinking, okay, if we row hard enough, we can save Jonah, get him on dry land, and if we work hard enough, we can save ourselves. You know, another, another indication, these guys are making a choice. There's still free will involved here, isn't there? <laughs> and, and they're thinking, well, if we just row hard enough, and, and, and we'll save ourselves, you see? No matter how hard we row, no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we try to be, there's nothing apart from God that we can do to save our souls. Nothing. It's only when we humbly come before the Lord our God and accept the free gift of His Son Jesus as our Lord and King. As our Savior. That's what you must do to be saved. And these, these men, they recognize they're not getting anywhere. They're rowing hard. It ain't happening for them. And so what do they do? They cry out to God, the Lord. They cry out to Yahweh. Notice they're not crying out to little G-gods anymore. Oh, no. Now they cry out to the Lord. And that's what they say. Please, Lord. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They recognize, we see this at the end of verse 14, they recognize that Yahweh, God, is sovereign. They say, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Also notice that they, they, don't, they, they refer to Jonah as an innocent man. And we're like, what? How's he innocent? Well, to them, he's an innocent man. He hasn't done anything to them. He hasn't stood trial. He hasn't been accused of being guilty. They want to wash their hands of this innocent man's blood. They don't want his blood on their hands. These aren't the only Gentiles mentioned in the scriptures that don't want innocent man's blood on their hands, right? Yeah, you're tracking. Matthew 27, we see Pontius Pilate wash his hands. And then he says, I don't want this innocent man's, this innocent man's blood on my hands as he, as he turns Jesus over to be crucified. Do you see Jesus in Jonah? This book written over 700 years before Jesus was born, it's, it points to Jesus. This is a faith builder, isn't it? Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him in it. Well, eventually the sailors, you know, you know how it goes. They, they, toss, they toss old Jonah into the, into the water. They give in. They throw him in. And that word throw means to hurl. I mean, they hurl. I don't know if, like, a couple of them got his legs and a couple of his arms, and they let him have it, right? They throw him into the water. It's actually the fourth time in this passage we see the word hurl in Hebrew, and it begins in verse 4 when God sends the storm. That's actually hurl in Hebrew. God hurled the winds. He hurled the storm. And the sailors began to hurl the freight over. Jonah told them, you're going to have to hurl me over, and they make good, and they hurl Jonah over. And spoiler alert... Next week, we're going to see that Jonah is going to get hurled again, this time out of the mouth of a big old fish. Make sure you come back for next week. It's good. They hurl him over. And you know what? At some level, these sailors are willing to be obedient even when Jonah wasn't. And in the minute, the moment, the, 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 the millisecond 
his body touches the water and he goes into the sea, what happens? He grows calm. Meaning, the water stood down before them and I can picture it as just a smooth body of water like glass. And in their minds, this prophet named Jonah is now dead. And we see that these sailors are terrified once again. They're scared. And when you look at the progression of fear in their lives, in this passage, they went, afraid, they went from afraid of the storm to afraid of this God they didn't know, and now they have a yare fear. They revere, they worship the Lord. You see what's taking place here? God works through Jonah's disobedience to save the crew. He works through the storm to do that. What's going to happen when Jonah begins to obey? Well, hold on for that. That's coming in a few weeks. They recognize Jonah's God now as their own, the one true living God. So they make sacrifices to him. They make vows to him when they reach shore. It's a, it's a public demonstration of their intent to follow the one true living God. You know, I can't look in the hearts of men. None of us can, only God can. But I believe. I believe. <laughs> it might be soon. Who knows? But I believe I'm going to see these sailors in heaven. And I got a couple questions for them. I'm going to say, fellas, what was it like that day you were entering into the storm? What was that like? What was it like when you threw Jonah into the water and it grew calm? Uh, guys, did you ever run into Jonah again? I mean, did you see him in another port? Did you hear about how he got swallowed by a big old fish? Guys, did you hear about that? And then I'm going to ask him, how did your life change after you encountered the God of the universe the way you did? And who knows what they would say? Maybe they'd say something like, you know, our life wasn't always easy. It was difficult. There were storms. Oh, yeah. But we had a peace. We had a calm. We had a hope. We had a shalom in the midst of the storm because we now knew the one who was in control. Maybe they would even say, you know, Paul, um, the storm was never the problem. It was, the problem was that we were far from the one who was in control. We were living lives far from the Lord. Maybe that's what they would say. You see, I think it's easy to read these verses and just focus completely on the storm and miss the great depths of God's mercy and grace in the midst of it. Think about this. Without the storm, maybe God would have let Jonah go ahead and keep on sailing to Tarshish and live his best life now and be lost. But God worked through the storm to call Jonah back to himself. We'll see this. God uses the storm in the sailor's life. Oh, it must not have been pleasant at the time. It must have been miserable and terrible. But God works through the storm to call the sailors to himself so that they would not be eternally damned. Sometimes, sometimes the best place to learn and experience the depths of God's grace, his grace is in the middle of a storm. Sometimes the best place to learn about and experience God's grace is in the midst of the storm. I mentioned Romans chapter 8 earlier. And at the end of that chapter, there's some verses that are dear to me that I've held on to tightly. 
when I found myself walking through the storm. Because there at the end of chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, present, future, height, depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the depths of God's grace. Maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded. Maybe you're, you're beginning to sail into a storm or you're in the middle of a storm in your life and you need to be reminded God's on the throne, he's in control, and he's sovereign. You see, sometimes the storms, more it seems like a lot of the times the storms that we find ourselves in are a result of nothing that we did to get ourselves there. Could be we're in a storm because of somebody else's free will and choices they made, but sometimes the storm we're in is a result of our own free will and the choices we made against God's will. Maybe if you're here today, perhaps today is the day you need to repent and tell God you're sorry. Turn back to him. Maybe God's working through the storm to call you back to himself. Listen. Listen to him. Perhaps, perhaps like the captain was reminding Jonah, maybe you need the reminder to pray. To pray. You see, you can row, 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 row all you want. But it's not about how hard you row. It's about surrendering to Jesus as king. Let's pray. God, thank you for the words here in Jonah. Thanks for the promise. Thanks for all you've done. Jesus, thank you. Thanks that we can now be counted as sons and daughters of the living God because of what you've done for us. We are grateful. I pray for anybody here today that's in the midst of the storm that they would hear from you. Holy Spirit, convict comfort, teach, train. May we leave looking more like the one we serve, like Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Can I ask you to stand? Getting you out of here in just a moment. But just a couple housekeeping things. First off, you came today prepared to give of tithes and offerings. We have boxes in the back by the door. You can drop it off there. There's a link online. You can do that there as well. Also, another thing for your calendar, maybe to mark that on there, October 29th, we have a congregational meeting. We'll talk about all the ways, we'll really celebrate all the ways that God's at work at his church here at Faith E and kind of what he's leading us towards in the future. One other little thing, if, if there's a few guys that could stick around, be willing to help us stack some chairs up front, see Lonnie or I or John Claxon uh, to help with that, that'd be great. And if you need some prayer, it's always a privilege. love to pray with you this morning. We live in a world right now that's full of scared people. And that number is on the rise. I was talking to my wife about this. And she's a teacher. And she said just this past week, many students, young people, have come up to her and said, Mrs. McClintock, is this the end of the world? Is this, are we living in end times? And I think their question and what they're thinking reflects what's on a lot of people's minds. And none of us know the day or hour when Jesus is coming back. But every day and hour that goes by is getting closer to his return. And I don't think there's any denying that the stage is being set up for his return. That's what I say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And there may be a day we wake up. It's possible we wake up and we're rubbing the sleep out of our eyes and the world is in a big old storm. What do we do? Do we run in fear? Freak out? Pitch stuff out of our windows? 
hope for the best, run to the hills, or maybe, just maybe, such a time as this for the church, for us, his people. Maybe, just maybe, when all those scared people begin to ask, what must I do to be saved? When our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members ask, what must I do to be saved? And we can say this, let me tell you about the God I know. The God of heaven who created the sea, the land, and everything in it. Let me tell you about him because he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Let me tell you about Jesus because his innocent blood was shed. Let me tell you about Jesus who came fully man. He slept on the bottom of the boat, but when he woke up by his spoken word, the sea grew calm and the wind stopped because he's fully God. Let me tell you about my king because he died on the cross. He spent three days in the grave, but he rose to life. Let me tell you about my king who's on the throne, who's in complete control, and he's coming back. Let me tell you about him because there's salvation in nobody else except in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's get out there and be the church. Thanks, guys.